I don't know about you, but I'm going to miss these. This is a, the last series, the last sermon in this series. Um, but we're glad you're here. Um, I think I like Christmas when it's close to Sunday um, because I think it gives Sunday a, a special feel. Um, because, you know, worshiping uh, Jesus is what, it, is what it's all about. And so we're glad you're here today. Um, this is the final sermon in the series, Who Needs Christmas? Uh, two weeks ago, we mentioned the fact that the world needs Christmas. Last Sunday, uh, Craig brought to our attention that even God needed Christmas. And today, the answer to the question is, uh, we do. So this is how the birth of Jesus the Messiah came about. So how is it that the birth of Jesus Christ came about? Well, Matthew tells us, uh, just in case you're interested, and the interesting thing about Matthew's gospel is he jumps right in, uh, first thing, first chapter, uh, talking about uh, the birth of Jesus. And he lets us know up front that you know, he's a Jewish man, and, but he believes that Jesus was the long-awaited Messiah. Now, real quick before we jump into the Christmas story, I've got a couple of things specifically that I want to mention to you. One is um, the word Messiah. Uh, it's actually a Hebrew word. It's not an English word. So when we look at it, we don't necessarily know exactly what it means. Uh, the Greek equivalent is the word Christ. Um, and then the English translation is the anointed one. So Christ is not Jesus's last name. Uh, some people think it is, like, um, you know, Ken Hoke. Okay, Ken is his first name, Hoke is his last name. So when we say Jesus Christ, you know, that's kind of how we think sometimes. Jesus was his first name and Christ was his last name, but it, that's not the case. It wasn't Mary and Joseph Christ and their son Jesus. Um, it was a title uh, for Jesus. So how is, how is it that this birth of Jesus, the Messiah, how did it come about? Well, while we're on names, I probably uh, ought to talk to you about another name. And I don't want to ruin Christmas for you, uh, but the name Jesus is actually a transliteration of the Hebrew name uh, Yeshua. Um, the Hebrew language actually did not have a J. Uh, so when we say Jesus or Jehovah, that's not the way it originally appeared um, because Hebrew has no J. And so uh, aren't you glad you came to church today because you learned this new tidbit of knowledge that maybe you didn't already have. Um, and, and I'm sorry to mess up your thinking of all the Christmas carols you listen to, you know, that talk about Jesus. And, uh, you know, it's really not a, not a J. And so we've actually been mispronouncing his name uh, for years. And who knows, maybe your prayers aren't being answered because you don't call God's son by his real name. I don't know. Um, that was meant to be light. Okay. <laughs> Jesus and Joshua of the Old Testament actually share the same name. J 
Jesus is another form of Joshua. Of course, that's not how they should be uh, pronounced in English, but that's, that's what we use uh, all the time. Uh, so you better understand Jesus if you look closely at Joshua in the Old Testament. Now, Joshua was a warrior. He was a general, a military man. And so even though a prophecy had been made that Jesus would be a prophet like unto Moses, the Jews weren't really looking for another Moses. Uh, they didn't want another lawgiver. They had plenty of laws. Uh, they wanted a warrior king who would come in and deliver them from their oppressors. So they were looking for a Joshua, uh, whose name in English literally means Savior. Okay, so we're looking at Matthew 1 again, beginning with verse 18. This is how the birth of Jesus Christ came about. His mother Mary was pledged to be married to Joseph, but before they came together, she was found to be with child through the Holy Spirit. Because Joseph, her husband, was a righteous man and did not want to expose her to public disgrace, he had in mind to divorce her quietly. But after he had considered this, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream and said, Joseph, son of David, do not be afraid to take Mary home as your wife, because what is conceived in her is from the Holy Spirit. She will give birth to a son and you are to give him the name Jesus, because he will save, notice, uh, there's part of the word Savior, he will save his people from their sins. Now Jesus' mother, Mary, was pledged, or we would call it today, engaged, uh, to be married to Joseph. And so, so far, so good, um, but another fact enters the story, and that is that Mary was expecting uh, the angel identified by the Holy Spirit. And stop and think about this. Um, wow, you know, this is grounds for a major scandal uh, to take place. Um, in Mary's culture, girls were pledged to be married uh, by the time that they were 10 or 11. Now, they were married between the ages of 12 and 15. Now, I know some of you have children um, that age, daughters. And I, for me, it's hard to imagine, you know, your daughter being pled. Of course, you need to understand also that marriages were arranged during this time. So the parents had made, had made the decision. So these weren't decisions that the couple actually made uh, for themselves. Also, during, this Old during the Old Testament period, uh, punishment for having a child out of wedlock was being stoned to death. That was a very serious infraction uh, against God's law. Now, the Romans who were in charge, they had conquered uh, the land at that time. They would not allow the Jews to practice stoning. So Joseph considered putting her away privately. Uh, he didn't want to do anything to bring more reproach on her or on himself because this whole situation looked bad on him uh, as well as her because of assumptions uh, that people would make. 
And, you know, he himself was innocent. He had nothing to do with it. But at the same time, Joseph had a, a deep respect for the law. And so he was caught in between the law and grace. He had not decided for certain yet what, what he would do, um, but was thinking seriously about divorcing her privately. Now, for Matthew, or anyone, to have manufactured this story of a virgin birth does not help, but hurts the storyline. Let me explain. Um, people weren't really expecting the Messiah to be born of a virgin, though that had been prophesied. Um, most of the Jewish scholars really hadn't picked up on that. The people at large weren't aware of it. Um, and so the Messiah, in the people's minds, did not have to be born uh, of a virgin because nobody's expecting it. The only reason this detail uh, made it into the narrative is because it's true. Uh, the detail people rallied around about Jesus uh, following his death on the cross, was not the virgin birth, but it was on the resurrection. There was not a group of people after his death going, well, he died, but remember, he was born of a virgin. That didn't have anything to do uh, with his death. Um, so, you know, nobody said, I think we can keep the dream alive based on the virgin birth, the dream of Jesus and... and uh, uh, his ministry. When Jesus died, people expected him to stay dead because that's what happened with everybody. So all of that points to the fact that Matthew wouldn't have made this up. In fact, it hurts the story more than it helps it because it makes it seem that much more unbelievable. Mary and Joseph both received angelic messages uh, that the baby was going to be special. Uh, they were told it was a boy, and they were instructed that they were to name him Jesus, Yeshua, Joshua, Savior. It, pick out the name you want to use. Um, that's what they were told to name him. Joseph recognized this name. He recognized it as the name of the long-awaited Messiah, and that he, he knew that the Messiah was going to come and save his people. Uh, they had been oppressed for many, many years. First there were the Assyrians, then the Babylonians, then the Persians, Greeks, and at the current time, uh, Rome had conquered all of this area. So they were under Roman rule. The Messiah would come and save them from the oppressors and once again make Israel a great nation. So Joseph knew all of these stories uh, of Joshua, how he had taken the Israelites into Canaan, conquered Jericho, drove out the inhabitants so that the Jews could own their own land and basically determine their own destiny. Uh, Joseph had heard these stories since he was a child. And I'm certain Joseph found it unbelievable that it would be his son who would save the Jewish people 
from their oppressors, the Romans. Let's look at verse 21 again. The angel said, she will give birth to a son, and you are to give him the name Jesus, because he will save his people from their sins. So you see, uh, Jesus' purpose is identified by the angel. Um, He came to save his people from their sins, and that includes you and me. The fulfillment of that promise to Abraham that through his seed singular, all nations of the earth would be blessed. And that blessing is forgiveness and the promise of eternal life. And so, I'm sure when Joseph heard the angel say that, um, his thinking was, say what? He thought Jesus was going to save Israel from the Romans, not from their sins. Sins were not a felt need at that time. People were not even aware of their sins. It's just kind of like today. If you talk to the average person on the street, they don't need Jesus. They don't need to go to church. They don't need a relationship with God. They're okay. They're good people. They'll tell you they are. And so, you know, they can make it on their own is is the thinking. So people in Joseph's day didn't think they needed to be saved from sin, so they wouldn't need that kind of a Savior. As a matter of fact, Maslow's hierarchy of needs says, and we've got the graphic here for you, uh, we're going to start at the bottom and move up, says that our basic needs are physiological. Uh, We need to eat. We need to have water. Uh, We need to have things that are necessary for survival. After that, we need safety, uh, something to keep us from harm. Once we're safe, we need a sense of love community, and belonging. We need to develop uh, a sense of personal self-esteem, and the ultimate need is self-actualization, which deals with morality, creativity, and the acceptance of facts. Now, I want you to imagine Joseph uh, looking at Maslow's hierarchy of needs and challenging the angel, look, do you see sin anywhere on that list? And it's nowhere on that list. We need to be saved from some things, but sin doesn't doesn't even make the list. Besides, we have a a very sophisticated uh, save-you-from-sin system already in place. I don't know if you've noticed. This would be him talking to the angel. Uh, But we we have uh, this place up on the hill uh, called the temple, and uh, you can't miss it. And so we go to the temple and, and we make sacrifices uh, to have our sins forgiven. In fact, he would say, our scriptures list every sin imaginable and what to do about every sin, how to get rid of the consequences. We do not need another system to help us be saved from our sins. But angel, I will tell you who needs saving Rome needs to be saved from their sins uh, because they have perpetrated more sins than we can even begin to count. And we need saving from Rome. What we need is a savior with a sword 
We do not need to be saved from our sins. We need to be saved from Rome. But Joseph didn't respond in that way. And I'll tell you why. Now, this is a pretty rich insight right here. When the angel of the Lord talks out loud to you, you do not talk back. You know, so if God approaches you, an angel approaches you, you don't talk back. In fact, when I hear some people say, well, you know, God appeared to me uh, and God said this or God said that, you know, I'm I'm like, hmm, you know, I, I have some doubts about that. I have some questions about that. Number one, your face didn't melt off. Uh, when Moses came down from the mountain, when God gave him the Ten Commandments, uh, he glowed in such a way that people were afraid to even look at him. And that was an experience in, in the presence of God. Um, so, you know, it doesn't sound like God. Biblical instances of interaction with humans, uh, when, when God speaks, no one ever says, was that God? Uh, I feel like God spoke to me. Uh, That's never going to happen. If God speaks to you, you're going to know that it's God. And it's going to be a life-changing experience. And so certainly he has the capability to do that. Um, But in general, he doesn't choose to. And if he does, he's crystal clear in what he says. So when the angel of the Lord appeared in a dream, even though it was a dream, as Joseph woke up, there was no doubt in his mind what God wanted him to do. Let's look at the text, Matthew one twenty four. When Joseph woke up, he did what the angel of the Lord had commanded him and took Mary home as his wife. So he did exactly as he was instructed. Now, in this final message of the series, I want to make clear why so many of us today are not moved when we hear that God sent Jesus to save us from our sin. Actually, I already mentioned the principle. Uh, Being saved from sin is not a felt need in our culture and our society today. Now, whether you currently worship Jesus or you've, you've been a Christian for a long time, or you're not a Christian, or you used to be a Christian or church person, uh, the idea of God saving us from our sins doesn't really excite most of us. Now, why? Uh, Matthew 121 again, She will give birth to a son, and you are to give him the name Jesus, because he will save his people from their sins. But you know, that's what the Scripture says but that's not really how we hear it. We kind of translate in our minds. And um, what we hear is, you are to give him the name Jesus because he will forgive his people of their sins. Now, that may almost sound like the same thing to you, uh, but in fact, it is not. Uh, If we're not careful, what happens is we'll reduce Christmas to forgiveness. Uh, Perhaps your entire Christian or your entire religious experience has basically been this. Okay, you'll say, nobody's perfect, but God forgives. Nobody's perfect, but God forgives. I mess up, God forgives me. I mess up, 
God forgives me. And this is the way many people live every day of their Christian life. So for many people, that's their entire religious experience. Uh, But the message of Christmas and the message of Joseph in the dream and the message of the Gospels is so much bigger than that. Just sin, forgiveness, sin, forgiveness. And if you have reduced Christmas to merely forgiveness, then you've missed the primary message of Christmas because Jesus certainly came to deliver us from the penalty and consequences of sin. So Jesus came to deliver or save us. Greater concept here from the power of sin in our lives. Now Jesus alluded to this several times uh, during his ministry. Let me give you an account, a story from the Gospels. It's the account of the the woman caught in in the act of adultery. I think it's an excellent illustration of this fact. Now, the religious leaders were trying to trap Jesus. So I don't know how they did it. I don't know if they staked her out or whatever. But anyway, the scripture says that, you know, they caught this woman and they told Jesus in the very act of adultery, dragged her through the streets of Jerusalem to the temple, to the feet of Jesus. And so she's 30 yards from where animals were being sacrificed daily for people's sins. She's 75 yards from the Holy of Holies where the Ten Commandments are kept. The one that condemns her committing adultery is there. And this is certainly the last place she wants to be. Um, She's obviously really uncomfortable in this situation. The leaders remind Jesus that the law called for her to be stoned to death but they weren't going to do it. In in first place, it would be inappropriate to stone somebody inside the temple. I mean, that'd be like bringing somebody inside the church building and killing them. Uh, totally inappropriate. Uh, plus, it was against Roman law. So here's what Jesus did. He called their bluff. He gave permission for the one who had committed no sin to cast the first stone. And so he was just kind of scribbling on the ground. He looked up and he asked the woman where her accusers were and she said they left. And so then he makes one of his most famous statements uh, of his ministry. He says, neither do I condemn you. Leave your life of sin. Or some translations say, go and sin no more. Um, he had both the power to condemn and the power to forgive. In this instance, he chose to forgive. Um, Jesus has more in store for us than just a life of continual forgiveness. Now, he shed his blood, he sacrificed himself in our place so that our sins could be forgiven, But we need to look at forgiveness in a little different way. Um, Obviously, forgiveness is always available because of Jesus' sacrifice. He shed his blood, therefore it's there, it's available. But we 
should not be dominated by sin after we accept him as Lord and Savior. Let me explain that a little better. There's a better life after forgiveness. John 10.10, Jesus said, The thief comes only to steal and kill and destroy. I have come that they may have life and have it to the full. We don't generally talk a lot about what this means, having a life to the full. Uh, But Jesus, what he does is he gives us power to say no to sin. Uh, It's better not to sin than to sin and seek forgiveness. You follow me? Um, we're, We're much better off when we don't commit sin than committing sin and having to seek forgiveness. Because, in fact, sin leaves scars. And so sinlessness is far better than forgiveness. Forgiveness, you see, just rolls us back to zero. To free us from sin is better than to forgive us from sin. Forgiveness only frees us from the eternal consequences of sin, not the immediate consequences. Let me give you an illustration. I'll use myself as an example. Let's say I murder someone. Okay, so, you know, I'm tried, I'm found guilty, I actually did it. So I'm in prison, and pastor comes in, talks to me, and uh, talks to me about Jesus and the significance of, of, of Christmas and why he came into the world. And so I repent of the sin that I had committed. Okay, God would forgive my sin, no matter how horrendous it may seem. My sin would be forgiven. And so, when I die, I'll go to heaven. But now, is the state of Virginia going to let me out of jail because I repented and accepted Jesus? Well, I've known too many people on that end, the the other side of the bars, uh, that this applies to. And no, state of Virginia does not do that. So, God wipes away the eternal consequences But the immediate physical consequences, the scars, are still going to be there. Um, I am directly affected by that. Romans 6, verses 12 through 14. Here's what Paul the Apostle writes. He's writing to the Christians at Rome. He's writing to the church at Rome. These are saved people. Understand that. He says, Therefore, do not let sin reign in your mortal body so that you obey its evil desires. Do not offer the parts of your body to sin as instruments of wickedness, but rather offer yourselves to God as those who have been bought or brought from life or from death to life and offer the parts of your body to him as instruments of righteousness. For sin shall not be your master because you are not under law but under grace. So as long as we commit sin, sin's our master. So if we commit sin and then very quickly ask God to forgive us and then turn around, commit another sin and ask God to forgive us and over and over and over and over again, sin, you see, is still our master. Even though we're going through the process of seeking forgiveness, it still has control over us. And I want you to notice that uh, these verses that Paul wrote 
they, they appear in the form of a command. And so God never commands us to do something that we cannot do, so we're expected to do this. So we have choice even after forgiveness. Uh, we can sin even after we accept Jesus. And when we accept Jesus, we're forgiven for all of our past sins. But Jesus gives us power, and that power would be the Holy Spirit to help us overcome. So Paul's saying, don't let sin be the king of your life. You see, sin kills things. Wherever there is sin, something dies. That went all the way back to the beginning of the sacrificial system. Animals ended up dying because of men's sins, being put to death uh, as sacrifices. Um, sin can kill your marriage. In the form of lack of control, it can kill your finances. Sin can kill all kinds of relationships. In the form of addictions, sin kills relationships. Sin can kill your self-image or your self-esteem. Sin can cause depression through guilt, and I, by that I mean real guilt, and can cause suicide. Romans 6.23 says, For the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God, we think of gifts when we think of Christmas, the gift of God is eternal life through Christ Jesus our Lord. So there's God's Christmas gift eternal life in Jesus. Uh, if your Christian experience has been sin, forgiveness, sin, forgiveness, sin, forgiveness, sin, forgiveness, then you've missed the reason why Jesus came. Jesus came into this world not simply to forgive us of sins, but to be our Joshua. As a warrior king, Joshua will deliver us from the dominion, power, and captivity to sin. The wages of sin is always that something dies. But the gift of Christmas, the gift of God, is eternal life. When people think of eternal life, they automatically think, oh, I get to go to heaven when I die. That's what that means. But it begins here on earth. Uh, when we accept Jesus as our Savior and we make him Lord of our lives, it is a life now free from the power and the bondage of sin. So we are freed from sin's control. Through Jesus, we have a new master. Uh, we, now, we have now become slaves to righteousness. If you are in Christ... If you are a Christian, you can say no to sin anytime you want to. Satan doesn't have dominion over you anymore. You have the power. You can be free from sin anytime you want. You can say no to sin anytime you want. Sin is not your master. Lust is not your master. Lack of self-control in your life is not your master. Alcohol is not your master. Prescription drugs are not your master. Anger is not your master. Jealousy is not your master. Bad habits are not your master. 
When you become a Christian, you were placed by God into Christ. And Jesus came into this world to do more than just forgive you of your past sins. He came to set you free from the power of sin. You now have the power to overcome sin, to go your way, and as Jesus told the woman caught in adultery, go your way and sin no more. But if you do sin, and you will occasionally, Jesus is still there to remove that sin and get you back on the right track. So give your whole life to Jesus. Do not submit any members of your body to the master of sin. Do not live as a prisoner to sin, because sin is not your master. Sin will speak to you, it will taunt you, it will bait you, it will tempt you, but don't let it become your master. If you're not a Christian, sin doesn't have to be your master either. Maybe you don't call it sin, but if you ever get fed up and tired of being dragged down, or you have a lack of self-control, or you're dominated by self-destructive habits that destroy the relationships that are most important to you, if you ever get fed up with that, I have some great news for you. Christmas. Christmas is a standing invitation from our Father in Heaven. God is inviting you into a relationship where sin no longer has to be your master. Because you're not under the law, you're under grace, you're a candidate for God's Christmas gift. So who needs Christmas? The world did. Who needs Christmas? God did. Because he needed a way to demonstrate his love for us. And who needs Christmas? We do. Anyone who needs to be saved from their sin needs Christmas. The angel said you are to give him the name Jesus. Because he will save his people from their sin. We're going to stand and sing a song of decision. You have the opportunity uh, to accept Jesus as Lord, Savior of your life. Uh, if you've not been living up to his expectations, uh, we'd be glad to uh, pray with you. Uh, if you want to become a member of the church here at New Life, we'd be glad to talk to you about that. Respond as we stand and sing together, please.